Hey folks, this is Charlotte Clymer. My pronouns are she, her, and you are listening to a brand new episode of Charlotte's Web Thoughts. This is the audio slash podcast version of the actual Charlotte's Web Thoughts on Substack.com. You can go subscribe to that at charlotteclimber.substack.com. It's completely free. All you need is an email. It takes less than five seconds to sign up, and it helps me out immensely. So please do go subscribe, charlotteclimber.substack.com. February 5th, 2023. The Junk Drawer, Volume 3. The Junk Drawer is back. This is a feature of my blog I intended to do regularly when I began it last year, and things just got terribly busy with midterms. So it's become one of my goals this year to reignite the feature. It's about odds and ends, random musings, things I'm reading and watching, stuff I found interesting, and updates on my work. So please enjoy. The Ballad of the Nosy Balloon. The surveillance balloon fiasco over the past week has been embarrassing for pretty much everyone involved. Embarrassing for China in their clumsy espionage and laughable response. Embarrassing for the U.S. government in the revelation that apparently several of these were tracked during the Trump administration and Trump declined to do anything about them, which we're just finding out. And embarrassing for political media's constant inability to clarify the situation for Americans, instead leaning into a framing of partisan jousting on a national security issue. Great. Per usual, on matters of national security, the smartest voices seem to be on the peripheral of cable news. I found a great Twitter thread by national security expert William Kim that I found particularly insightful, and I linked to his thread in my blog. So if you go to my blog on the website, you'll find the link for it. If nothing else, with the successful shoot down of the balloon by an air-to-air missile from an F-22 Raptor, by the way, the first such recorded kill by that fighter jet model, notch this as a victory in President Biden's war on inflation. Another award show you probably don't care about, but here's why you should. The 65th Annual Grammy Awards are being broadcast this evening. Most of you probably don't care about it. I will admit that I love award shows. From the fashion to the high drama, I find them delicious. But this year's Grammys have a particularly sharp significance. Beyonce leads with nine nominations for her album Renaissance, an instant cultural landmark that is widely considered her most complete record. It also lifted her to 88 career nominations, which ties her, coincidentally, with husband Jay-Z for the most Grammy nominations by an artist ever. And with 28 Grammy wins under her belt already, she's the most awarded singer in the Academy's history. Here's the problem. Beyonce rarely wins for the big general awards, the ones that cover the entire genre. I mean, covers all genres. Album of the Year, Record of the Year, and Song of the Year. And also Best New Artist, but... You know, that's only for first-year artists. She's been previously nominated six times for Record of the Year, winning none. She's been nominated five times previously for Song of the Year, winning once. And most glaringly, she's been nominated three times for Album of the Year as a lead artist and once as a featured artist, winning none of those. She wasn't even nominated for Best New Artist during her time with Destiny's Child or after her solo debut, which was a stunning critical and commercial success. 
The Grammys have always been suspect, and there's long been debate over how much critical favor is weighed against sales and certifications. What makes Beyonce a point of considerable debate is that she's been consistently both. She's been highly praised for her artistry, and she's been highly lucrative as an entertainer. Her album of the year losses have occurred in years in which she found near universal favor among reviewers and near universal adulation among listeners. So which is it? That's not to say the artists to whom she lost were undeserving, but it's become a highly suspect pattern in which Beyonce releases a beloved album that's critically and commercially successful only to lose to a white artist whose album would not be assessed similarly, at least to that degree. Tonight, if Beyonce doesn't win at least one of the three major awards, there's going to be a lot of understandable chatter about Massage Noir among Academy voters. So here's what I'm reading. The Revolutionary, Samuel Adams, by Stacey Schiff. One of the most interesting biographies I've read in a while. Schiff has a hell of a bibliography with classics like Vera, Mrs. Vladimir Nabokov, uh, Nabokov, sorry, uh, winner of the 2000 Pulitzer Prize for Biography or Autobiography, and The Witches, Salem 1692. Those are two of her many works. And her latest work is on forgotten founding father, Sam Adams. It is thoroughly fascinating. I learned a hell of a lot that I didn't know before. I included a link to her book, which you can buy uh, if you are so moved, and I certainly encourage it. Discalculia, a love story of epic miscalculation by Kamongi Felix. I was lucky enough to score an advanced copy of Felix's latest work, which is set for release this Valentine's Day. She won rave reviews for Build Yourself a Boat in 2017, which was long listed for the National Book Award, among other recognitions. She's one of those writers that makes me want to write. You can pre-order it. Uh, it's released on February 14th. Definitely, definitely pre-order it. I, I love her as a writer. She's just amazing. And finally, Master of the Senate by Robert A. Caro, an oldie but goodie. This is the second time I've read, I've read Caro's uh, third uh, work in the LBJ biography quintet. The fifth part, we are told, will eventually be published when he's damn good and ready. If you want to, if you want to understand how the Senate got to be so thoroughly complicated and counterproductive, to put it mildly, Caro's history of the chamber is alone worth reading this. It's a big one, I won't lie. You'll need to dedicate at least a few weeks to it. But the understanding you'll glean about American politics is indispensable. Here's what I'm watching. Fleischman is in trouble on Hulu. Adapted from the book of the same name by Taffy bordesser Ackner, who also executive produces. It's a great miniseries. Lizzie Kaplan and Claire Danes give exceptional performances and the writing is brilliant. It's a bit dark, but in the best way. The Last of Us on HBO. I'll be real with y'all. As much as I love Pedro Pascal, I wasn't especially motivated to start watching this. I've kind of had my fill with post-apocalyptic narratives. I say that with respect. But then the third episode, which centers around guest actors Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett, it was released this last weekend to rave reviews, so I finally watched it. And I'm glad I did. The love story between these two men is one of the finest episodes of television I've ever seen. Absolutely brilliant. Highly encourage y'all to watch it. And finally, 80 for Brady, the new movie that's out from Paramount. 
Oh God, I so wanted to hate this damn movie. Metro Weekly offered to pay me to review it, and when I realized it would give me a chance to trash Tom Brady, I gladly accepted their commission. And then, much to my surprise, I quite enjoyed it. Ugh, I hate it when that happens. To read my review, I've included a link in my blog, which you can read online, so go do that. Here's what I'm writing. The week before last, I published an essay on an interview Pope Francis did with the Associated Press in which he called for homosexuality to be decriminalized across the world, where it currently is in 67 countries. My take is this simple. It's very good news when a global religious figure takes an LGBTQ affirming stance, especially right now, and it should be encouraged. We should be encouraging that. Last week, I wrote a satirical article about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announcing a statewide ban on Pink Floyd. I honestly thought it was a bit over the top and wouldn't gain much attention. I was wrong. It went super viral. It's one of the most widely read pieces I've ever written for this blog, mostly because a lot of folks readily believed that DeSantis would do something like this. In fact, it gained so much traction that Snopes, that is Snopes.com, published an article in response confirming that it's satire, which I quite loved. And of course, the aforementioned, uh, aforementioned review of 80 for Brady, which you should definitely read. Here's where I'm going to be soon. On March 2nd, I'm going to be in conversation with Gabrielle Blair at DC's historic Sixth and I Synagogue. When my, friend, when my friend Gabrielle asked me to join her for a one-on-one discussion on her best-selling book, Ejaculate Responsibly, A Whole New Way to Think About Abortion, I thought I might be dreaming. For those who aren't in D.C., Sixth and I is considered one of the premier venues for book events. This will be my first event on the stage instead of in the audience, and I am so damn excited to talk with Gabrielle about her brilliant book. There is a link for tickets in my blog, which you can go you know, buy a ticket through, so I encourage you to do that. On March 9th, I will be organizing, uh, or excuse me, uh, moderating a panel uh, on uh, the Fair Representation Act uh, for Represent Women at their second annual Democracy Solutions Summit. I did attend their summit last year. It was fantastic. I attended as a guest. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I have every reason to believe that this year's summit is just going to be is going to be just as much fun. Uh, and it's also free. So do go register for that. And then this is a ways away, but on April 28th, I will be moderating uh, a panel for the 17th Annual Freedom Rising Conference. This is on the last day of this much-beloved annual gathering organized by NYC's iconic Middle Church. The segment, How Christian Fascism Made a Home Within Our Government, will be with Melissa Harris-Perry and Robert P. Jones, two people I deeply admire. Uh, and I admire Middle Church. It's an amazing uh, place of worship. And I particularly admire Dr. Reverend Jackie Lewis. So please come join us at this event. It's going to be fantastic. And of course, I've included a link to purchase a ticket in the online blog. Okay, finally, some personal news. In case you missed it, Charlotte's Web Thoughts was nominated for Outstanding Blog at the 34th Annual GLAAD Media Awards. This is an, uh, it's an enormous honor, and I can't thank you all enough for supporting this little blog newsletter of mine. I'm really grateful for your support, truly. For those of you who've been following the 80s movie Guessing Chaos, I have some good news. We've raised over $9,000 for Team LPAC, so we're almost there. 
Once we hit 10,000, I'll be publishing my review of the movie, thus finally revealing the answer. Shout out to my friend Amanda Height for her substantial donation toward that total. Please join her and donate to Project LPAC. I've included a link to their research arm so that they can research and help queer women get elected. And bonus, anyone who donates at least 50 bucks will get followed back on Twitter. Just send me the receipt at cmclimber at gmail.com. Finally, I joined Spoutable, the new social media platform created by Christopher Boozy, the gentleman who accurately nailed the outcome of the midterms election long before mainstream political punditry caught up. And I really love it. It's a great website. I love the layout. I love that it's just a breath of fresh air. It is the complete opposite of Twitter in tone and atmosphere. Seriously, y'all got to join it. So come join it. It's free, of course. And uh, I've included a link to my profile in the blog so you can make your first friend on the site. All right, folks. Thanks so much.